Okay, so this is fabulous. So who was it who gave you this opportunity? So I stepped out from the kitchen. I was I finished my bacon butty and I uh, I went to uh, to step out. And it was only when I got into the courtyard that I, I took a look at the business card. And for the last seven weeks, I'd been cutting the grass for. I just had a bacon butty with Sir Ken Morrison from Morrison Supermarket. Well, you know, one of the largest supermarket chains in the UK. Wow. Um, and six days later, I met this lady called Janine. She invited me through into the boardroom where I met Ken and three other members of his board and successfully interviewed um, and offered the position as his business training and development director. Amazing. Yeah, and so um, his, his, training his, his current training director had just requested some maternity leave and asked for a year of maternity leave. Um, and he, he didn't even advertise the position. He simply said, well, if you're a sergeant major in the army, you'll find this a doddle. Um, <laughs> Um, he was a huge advocate of the services. He was a lovely, lovely man, and he was very keen to be able to support the armed forces um, and, and gave me the job pretty much off spec and said, you know, you're working out for yourself, but away you go. Uh, <laughs> and I must admit, to this day, he was probably the most influential um, person in my adult life um, who gave me the biggest break and enabled me to go on to do what I now do today. That is amazing. You know, Jay... I, I like to listen to my guests, you know, so you notice I didn't interrupt as you're telling your story because it's so important to hear it, right, as a listener all the way through and, and see the nuances and patterns that develop. Yeah. And one pattern that I saw was you didn't mean to become a soldier. You didn't mean to, you know, and and it's like, even though, um, even your body at one point, right? So then there was the nonverbal <laughs> um, things that, you know, the nonverbal healing that happened. And one thing I just wanted to mention about your healing journey with the physical therapy is a lot of things live in our body and probably just trying to heal the body brought up a lot of emotional stuff that your mind had numbed out. Yeah. And, and finally you were forced, right? You didn't mean yep. to, you were forced to make that connection. Yep. And as a result, you got a complete healing. And um, then you were able to, you know, like, okay, I've got to feed my family and pay my mortgage. <laughs> so, you know, you just said, okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it very, very well. And again, unintentionally, you know, you got recognized and you went from what most people would say is rock bottom to straight to the top. Yeah, I was that very fortunate in that sense. Fabulous story. Mm -hmm. Wow. See, listeners and viewers, I told you he's in a magnificent person and we're going to learn so much more <laughs> um, in our next segment where we get into now that he is a motivational speaker and so much more. You'll see the mastermind that he runs and everything. Um, we'll get into three to five tips so you can be more like Jay. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hello and welcome to the Free to Be Show. I'm super excited to introduce um, a new connection of mine and um, his name is Jay Allen. He is a motivational speaker and entrepreneur, 
and award-winning published author, but the most distinguished thing about him that I, I think is remarkable is he served in the British Armed Forces for over 12 years. And he served in operational tours all over the world and ultimately was medically discharged in 2003. But the great thing is from those years in the military service, he brought um, into the boardroom just amazing um, transition to show us how to rise above mediocrity in business. And he actually wrote a book about it in 2015. And it's called um, Battlefield to Boardroom, 10 Proven Military Strategies to Combat Mediocrity. So, um, and as we go on through our conversation, you'll find out all the wonderful ways that he helps business owners to add a zero to their bottom line. So welcome to the show. Wow, thank you so much. I couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for anything more, uh, more, <laughs> more delightful as an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, my pleasure. So I know I just, you know, our lives are so massive and our journeys are so individual and personal. If, if I were to ask you what your journey was, your journey from the battlefield to the boardroom, how, how did everything fall into line? Sure, okay. So very briefly, um, I never intended to be a soldier. Um, I never grew up with this, this mad urge to join the British Army. Um, although what I found was that the more time I spent qualifying and trainings to be what initially was going to be a social worker, um, and the more time I spent training to become a social worker, the more disheartened I was with regards to what that was likely to look like. And although I had all of these preconceived ideas about what I was going to be, what I actually found was, well, well, no, probation service do that, and the outreach workers do that, and the school's outreach program does that, and the, the social services departments do. I was like, what do we do? <laughs> oh, no, you write, you write the reports. Um, I was like, no, 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 I'm not a report writer. I, I want to be out there and doing things. Um, and meanwhile, whilst all that was going on in the background, a lot of my friends who had gone through school and college with, but perhaps not gone to university with, um, had subsequently joined the British Army um, with, with views to go to the Falklands War, um, which, which, had just, which had just was occurring whilst I was at university. Um, so by the time I was becoming quite disheartened and, and disillusioned with the qualifications I'd got, all my friends were coming back with, with stories and, and scars and, and money. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. This is, this is a lot more fun than the writing reports that I've been doing for the last few months. Um, and I went to the Army Careers Office and just said, look, this is who I am and this is what I've done. And if I can be of any interest, if, if there's anything of value, then, then, then let's have a conversation. Um, six days later, I was swearing allegiance to Queen and to country um, and joining the British Army. Uh, they, they'd sold it in about 90 minutes of this, of this opportunity. Um, and I, I, I originally I joined for. Um, with views to becoming a, a field medic, a combat medic. Um, and they, they saw my social work style skills and said, well, you're clearly a, a carey type person, so we'll, we'll put you into the medical corps and you can go off and help people. Um, and it was my intent, genuinely, my intent to be able to do the three years that were being asked of me, um, to, to qualify as a paramedic and to do some field work and to, to do good for Queen and country. 
and then perhaps to come back to social work um, with a different mindset and a different concept, perhaps having gone to some of the countries and, and, and learnt and lived a little, uh, other than the bubble I'd been in. And what I hadn't appreciated is how much I was going to fall in love with the everything that we did in the army with regards to no two days, with, no two hours were the same in the army. Um, and I just loved that work hard, play hard mentality. I loved the team that I got partnered with and to work with. I loved the spontaneity of some of the things that we got involved with and whereabouts we went in the world. Um, and it very quickly turned from this idea of three years to turning into a career that I was going to make to, to, to do until I retired. I, I threw my heart and soul into it. I volunteered for almost everything that came along my way. Whether I liked it or not, I thought, well, give it a go. Um, and, and yeah, I, I loved my time in the army. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, and yeah, we went on some operational commitments. I did um, the first Gulf War and Northern Ireland before the peace treaty, um, and Bosnia and Kosovo and East Timor and Sierra Leone, all, all the places that you don't tend to book on your holiday list were all no. the places that we were being deployed to. So we had quite an operational, busy time in the career. Um, and everything was going particularly well. I'd got married, I'd got a small family. Uh, a young family. Um, I've been promoted a couple of times. Um, everything was good. Um, and then one fateful day, I had an accident. I had a physical accident in the Gulf, uh, which brought me back to the UK um, to be to be rebuilt, as it were. Um, I broke my back and broke my leg. Oh my goodness! Um, and then during my time in hospital, um, during the rehabilitation phase, I'd already been operated on and going into rehabilitation um, and going into rehab. Um, about five weeks after I started rehab, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder um, mm. with flashbacks. Um, I got that quite significantly. It was so significant that they sectioned me under the Mental Health Act for my own protection. Um, I was on suicide watch for nearly eight months. Um, and, and everything came to a very, very, very quick halt with regards to career uh, and life, really. Um, um, I guess one of the things that I found most interesting during that period of time was even though I'd been a medic for 12 years, just over 12 years in the army, at no stage had I had any real consideration with regards to how much your mental health affects your physical health. Yeah. I couldn't understand really as to why I was going through all the motions with a physiotherapist to learn how to physically recover and yet because my mind wasn't in the right place how I was actually physically getting worse yeah. um, and I really couldn't comprehend or understand as to how this was so connected to everything else I, I always thought that you know if you go to the gym you go to forget and you just put everything else out of your mind and I didn't appreciate that until this is actually fixed and capable of it, that in actual fact, everything that you do in the rest of your body is just, well, it's just supernumerary, really. It's, it's almost that the whole of your body is just a transport mechanism for the bits that you actually need. Um, so it took me a long time to be able to understand that we needed to fix my head first. Um, and then hopefully the, the body would then follow on. Um, and you know we went through a whole series of learning mechanisms about how to be able to resolve the, the PTSD issues and at least put things into context that I was able to then compute and deal with um, and like I say that, that went on for about eight eight and a half months and then ironically 
once we'd found a way and we tested it and it was working for me about how to be able to manage the the mental health and the the, the mental strength that was needed then ironically my physical health almost caught up it was about the, the, the psychiatric treatment that my body just suddenly went well well you've done all of this work it can now it can now kick in and very 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 quickly very quickly after we'd fixed this i was walking again and i was i was about myself and and it was ironic because all of a sudden you've got this physical being that now works properly and it gives you such euphoria here that it self-emphasizes everything that you need to do and it was just such a such a transformation really from this broken body all the way through to this wow what can i now do um which which is fabulous um but i did know that both my physical injury and the fact that i would had some mental trauma determined that my career would most definitely be over I, certainly not the right place to either put me back into a trauma situation um, or give me a gun for any reason at all um, <laughs> so i knew that i was going to be discharged and become a civilian um, so I, I was able to physically prepare for that and mentally prepare for that before it actually became uh, a reality uh, and get used to the idea of not being a soldier um, a lot of soldiers have uh, a very difficult time being able to give up their military identity mm. and go back to becoming a civilian you know i mean we are we are a name rank and number in the army um, yeah. and it's, it's for whatever we do it's all always associated and assigned with your name your rank and your number and all of a sudden when you give some of that up you, you give up your rank and you give up your number um, you're actually giving up part of your identity that it's been for the last 12 years and, and there's a quite a difficult patch of time there to try and re-equate with who am i if i'm not 9866 staff sergeant allen um but thankfully a, a period of time i knew that this was going to come about so i was able to start readjusting before it actually happened um and i guess the next chunk of my life was was, was with regards to trying to get a job because other than I've got some qualifications, I've got some experience, uh, my CV looks good, I'm hoping that today's interjection suggests that I'm relatively communicable, I can hold a decent conversation. Um, on paper, I was a good catch, so every time I applied for a job, they'd look through all the qualifications and experience, we'd have a telephone conversation, everything's good, give him an interview, um, and we'd go to interview, I'd I'd have a conversation with people and one of the almost the last question they asked everything was going really well they we're talking about terms and conditions and start dates and that type of stuff and then they say jay, jay just one thing we've noticed on your cv that it says you left the army in 2001 and you're applying for this job at the end of 2003 hmm. and there's a bit of a gap in your cv and can you tell us about what you've been doing for the last couple of years since you left yeah not a problem uh, i was sectioned under the mental health act uh, with ptsd on suicide watch um, but i've gone through a treatment and before i had a chance to finish they were closing down the interview they were inviting me to leave through a fire exit oh, as if nice. i was some form of lunatic saying that they had a duty of care to protect their staff mm. um, all of a sudden i've gone from being a good catch to a to a long-term sickness absence risk um we, we don't want you at the moment jay but we're a bit concerned about your stability um, and ironically if there was if there was ever anything that was going to challenge someone's stability it's being told that we're worried about your stability 
Um, so every time I went for a job and, and didn't get it, um, I came away a little bit less disillusioned and a little bit more concerned about, you know, where's my salary going to come from and how I'm going to be able to pay the mortgage and look after my kids and all that type of stuff. Um, and I guess that that was quite a challenging time, really. It, it was really challenging on all of the skills that I'd learned from, from learning how to cope with PTSD. It was really much put onto a test very quickly after I'd left to find out as to, you know, are you going to break again here because you're being challenged? Um, and it took me 10 months to be able to get a job. Um, oh. By that time, I'd run out of cash. I was running up quite a significant amount of debt while I was trying to uh, live a life that uh, I promised my son and my family and all that type of thing. So um, it, it was becoming a lot more concerning and, and demanding of me to, to be able to get a job. Um, and eventually, I, I applied for a job as opposed to a career. I simply said, look, if, if I'm not going to get the job that I deserve to have with my rank and qualifications and experience, then, then at least do something where, one, you feel of use, uh, and two, you're at least earning something that you're in cash as quickly as you have been for the last six, seven, eight months. Um, and I accepted a job as a gardener um, on a private estate. They had nine staff on the estate, and I was going to cut grass for a living. Um, and the only benefits to that was one, it was spring and it was looking like it was going to be a good summer. And two, the salary for 45 hours a week was four pound a month more than my mortgage. And I thought, well, do you know what? At least the mortgage is going to get paid. Um, so I turned up on a Monday morning. I turned up very smartly dressed because although I was only going to be a gardener, I wanted to be able to make the right first impression. Um, the gardener, the head gardener, took one look at me and he said, you're not driving a tractor like that, lad. You need to get some coveys on. Uh, and sent me off to go and get changed into some more appropriate clothing. And he gave me this little two-metre John Deere tractor and said, go and cut grass, lad. Um, and that was my job description, go and cut grass, lad. Um, so I, I spent some time and I, I serviced the little John Deere tractor. I, I stripped it all down and I cleaned the engine up and I pumped the tyres and I sharpen the blade there was no way i was going to go out and cut grass and make a make a meal of it i wanted to be able to do this with with some military precision so <laughs> i went out there with, with with pride i'd got a job i was being of use and service and i was going to do lines <laughs> and for about seven weeks i cut his lawns with military precision i started to create these little crisscross patterns across his lawns and every now and again you saw the chauffeur driving this beautiful car in and out of his estate and the window would come down and you'd see this nose just looking out as if to say what's happening to my lawns here um, <laughs> and after after seven weeks i turned around on my little john Deere tractor and the car has come off the path and over the meadow and he's now parked at the side of my tractor the chauffeur's opened the door this old chap's got out and said um you're not just a grass cutter, are you, son? And I took my hat off and I unplugged my stereo and I said, no, sir, says, I'm, I'm an ex-staff sergeant in the uh, British Army. I says, but today I'm your grass cutter. Is everything okay? And he went, no, 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 no. He says, we can't have a staff sergeant from the British Army cutting me lawns. Mm. He says, come up to the house, lad, and come and have a coffee and tell me your story. 
No. And he got back in his car with his chauffeur and they drove up to the house and I followed him on this little John Deere tractor. <laughs> <laughs> and the head groundsman was busy calling after me, you can't go in the house, mister, you've got muddy boots. <laughs> and I got invited into this most beautiful house and I sat at this long, big kitchen table that seats about 14 or 16 people. Uh, and him and his wife, uh, I say an elderly chap, probably in his late 60s, early 70s, made me a coffee and a bacon butty um, himself without a member of staff or anything he's sat there and we had this coffee and with my muddy boots on and I told him what, what I've just told you here um, and he looked at his wife and he smiled and he said do you want a proper job oh my goodness wow I couldn't, I couldn't resist I, I, I had to say to him only if you don't mind that your grasses aren't going to get cut as well <laughs> <laughs> how can I be of service sir and, and he passed me his business card and he said phone Janine, the number on the card, and tell her on Wednesday next week, you're gonna come in and we'll have a chat about the job. Enjoy your bacon sandwich and then, you know, go sort your lawns out. But on Wednesday next week, don't come and cut lawns. Come and see me on the office address and Janine will set you up with, come and talk to me about the job. So, thanks very much, sir. So I, uh, I carried on finishing my bacon bucket and finished my coffee and bid them goodwill. And, left the house and it was only once I got out the house into the courtyard that I, I turned the business card around to find out as to who it was that I was I'd been speaking to um, and I just had bacon butty with Sir Ken Morrison from Morrison supermarkets wow. the largest supermarket chains in the UK and six days later I was successfully interviewed to be his business development director wow <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> the biggest break of my life. Okay, and we're back. So we're going to find out the um, who Jay now works with in his business, and um, he's going to share with us some great tips and tools to help us to be more like him. Take it away. <laughs> Thank you. So first of all, I genuinely believe that every really successful business starts with a story you know you've only got to think of um steve jobs and you automatically think of the story of the two steves um, fighting it out in one of their parents backyards and the garage um to subsequently go on to become the you know the biggest electronics company in the world i, I, I genuinely believe that a great company starts or has a great story um, so very briefly, I want to share with you the concept of My True North and how it relates to each and every business, whether we work with you or not, as to how to understand why we've come, who we are and what we're about. Let's assume for one minute that your goal in life, not in business, but your aspiration in life was maybe to trek to the North Pole. Um, let's assume that you did, you know, on my, on my bucket list, you say, before I die, I'd love to have trekked to the North Pole. It's something that's way out there. And I don't mind whatever your, your goal or your aspiration is. It could be the South Pole. It could be something completely different. But let's assume that we've got this huge, big, lifelong goal of trying to do something big. Well, in order to be able to do so, you're going to need to, to, to get some training in and make sure that you're physically and mentally capable of doing the journey. Um, you're probably going to need all of the right equipment to be able to, to set off and do it successfully. Um, and the chances are you probably don't want to do it on your own. 
you're probably going to need a team of people to be able to help and support and guide you along your way. So, so let's assume that you've done all of those things already. And today is the day that you are going to set off on your epic journey. You've got your compass and you hold it out and you wait for the needles to settle. And then as it points towards the end, you utter those words, right chaps, follow me. <laughs> and, and for weeks and months at a time, you now religiously follow the needle towards what you assumed to be the North Pole. Hmm. And unfortunately, you'll never make it. You see, if you set off from where we're based in the UK and you follow the N on the needle, you'll find yourself in Lithuania. Because you're following magnetic north, oh. not true north. At the moment, and it changes every year, but at the moment, to get to true north, it's 11 degrees away from magnetic north on your compass. Oh, wow. Influenced by the magnetic impulses in the northern hemisphere, hmm. which we never consider when we set out on that course. And it's exactly the same in every single business. We set out with a goal or an aspiration or a dream of what we want to be able to achieve. And then we're so busy doing the day-to-day -day trudging of getting there and getting there and getting there that we haven't noticed that in actual fact, we're just one degree off course. And yet that one degree prevents 96% of business owners from ever achieving what they set out to originally achieve. So True North has an 11-point program to be able to help people with the 11 degrees between Magnetic North and True North to help people, push people back on track to be able to make sure that every single day and every activity that you do is steering you closer to your goals and aspirations as opposed to what we call the SOS, the Shiny Object Syndrome that pulls us all off course and never allows us to achieve what we set out to achieve. That's so clever. <laughs> I love that. You're an epic storyteller, by the way. I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a bit of practice at it. <laughs> a little. <laughs> yeah. Just a little. So shall we, shall we dive in and, and find some, uh, some things that are going to be really interesting and, and benefits to everybody? Yes, but hold on. I actually want to take notes. Okay. Look, you guys will see how, how much amazing stuff I keep in my purse that's a bottomless pit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got to this stage a year ago where I finally gave up and got a man bag. Did you? I did. So I can <laughs> carry the bottomless pit as well. <laughs> you felt left out, didn't you? I felt completely left out. I realized <laughs> that there was this opportunity being missed by pockets. <laughs> wow. Okay. Apparently, my kids know it's a bottomless pit as well because the four um, pins I had in there were gone missing. All right, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so first of all, the majority of business owners, and it doesn't matter where you are in business, it doesn't matter what type of business you're in, it doesn't matter how long you've been in business, the majority of businesses failed to spend enough time planning how they're going to exit their business. Mm. So there's a lovely expression, start with the end in mind. And yet, whilst we might use that phrase, very rarely do we implement that phrase. 
So one of the things I want each and every one of your viewers and listeners to be able to do is to stop for a moment and give actual consideration, some real consideration, as opposed to just a passing thought about what day, date, time are you going to sell your business? Hmm. And I want you to put an actual date and time to the date that you're going to sell the business. Okay? Okay. For us, it's on the 28th of July, 2025. Oh, wow. Okay. It's that specific. Okay? Okay. The next thing you're going to do is how much are you going to sell the business for? Hmm. And that is how much money do you need to be able to take from the business in order to do whatever it is that you want to do on the 29th of July, 2025? <laughs> and what will you be satisfied to receive for the amount of work that you're going to do until that date to earn that money on a payout, on a buyout? Wow. Okay. okay. So how much money do you need, want, or require on the date of sale in order to be able to go off and consider what you're going about to do in your business, the success that you deserve to have in order to be able to go on and do something else. And that's either to set up a new business or a new venture or to buy a new house or to pay off the mortgage or to retire and live on a beach somewhere. I don't care what the next thing is yet. What I care about is having actual numbers to be able to understand as to what do we need to achieve in order for that to become a reality. Okay. You forgive me. I love quote tends to forget the originator of the quote and there's a lovely one that simply says a dream a, a goal is simply a dream without a deadline mm. um, so have a deadline and, and have a buyout have a, 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 a an actual figure and don't just make it up and say well I'd love to sell it for a million quid <laughs> well, that's not real Right. Um, you know, I know that my next venture, what I want to do from the 1st of August 2025 onwards, I know that I need 1.6 million euros. Uh, and I need it in euros because I'm going to spend it in Europe. Um, mm. So I know that until I can get a sales value, not an overall sales value, I'm going to explain that in a second, but not an overall sales value, I know that unless I can have 1.6 million euros cash in my hand on that date, then there's going to be a delay to me being able to do the next thing on the 1st of August. Um, so I know what the exit strategy is. I know what I need to achieve and the time I need to achieve it by. Okay? Wow. And, and yeah, so, so and, and number two, we have to know the currency. We have to know which currency, right? Because Absolutely. Because believe you me, when you turn around and say, I'd love a, th I'd love a million, well, ironically, you go to India uh, or Bali and get some Balinese uh, uh, rupees and you're a millionaire every day of the week. You know? I so, remember being a millionaire in Bali. <laughs> I, I still got over it. The first time I went to Bali, I got in a taxi and my taxi from the airport to the hotel was half a million rupees. And it just threw my head. <laughs> and then I found out I'd spent about a fiver. <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> so be very specific with regards to what it is that you need. And, and don't be, well, I want about a million quid. You know, I know that I need 1.6 million. So I'm very specific about what I need. So we've done the date. We've done the value. 
Now we come to the difficult bits, but the bit that makes all the difference. Who's going to pay that for it? Mm. Who are you going to sell it to? Who will buy it? Why would they buy your business as opposed to another business? Why would they buy it for the fee that you want to sell it for? Why is it of that? Why is why is your business of that value and more to whoever you're going to sell it to? And once you can answer that question, you now know what you need to be doing every day and every hour and every minute of the business in order to prepare it for sale. Hmm. Now, I'm going to give you a quick example because it's all right me talking theoretically, but mm. unless we've got some reality to this, it's just become motivational language. So I'm working with a client called Richard at the moment. And when Richard came to me about 18 months ago, he said his intent was, I want to be able to retire from my business on my 40th birthday. And he was 38 at the time. He said, I've got two years and I want to retire on my 40th birthday. But rather than retire and give up, I want to retire to be able to do X. And to do that, I'll need Y from my business. And we determined that he needed a million pounds from his business so he can move into his next business from 40 onwards. Cool. So we now start to go through his existing business to establish so what are all the things that are currently in play that have got you to where you are now that are actual fact hurdles when you come to try and sell it? And often that is that the business owner is the business. Um, so many people have got a self-employment um, and yet not understood that the moment you stop, it stops. So we need to go through and to almost make you redundant in the next two years so the business can continue to evolve beyond your involvement in it. So we identified all of the things in the business that needed to either be um, replicated by somebody else or resolved or finding somebody else to do it or outsourcing it if necessary. How do we extract Richard from the business in order that the business is then sellable? And whilst doing so, we identified a whole host of other things in the business that perhaps could be done differently if we're going to prepare for sell as opposed to prepare for me holidays, which is what most businesses tend to be. I'm going to create a lifestyle business, get some cash out, and the more successful I am will depending on how many more holidays I have. But that isn't sustainable because the moment you stop, it stops. Um, so we identified a whole host of other things that we needed to put in place to be able to make the business sustainable after Richard exits, as opposed to just so Richard could exit and then it all collapses behind his ears once he's gone. Because that's, it's, it's about creating the sustainability that's going to allow someone to buy it because they need to see its future value after you've left. So we've spent the last 12 months working with Richard only one day a week, uh, sorry, two, two days a month, is Richard's had, uh, but we've spent two days a month and given him some homework every time that um, we've spent some time together, um, looking at the various aspects of his business and then putting systems and processes in place to ensure that one, it is scalable beyond Richard and two, it is sellable beyond Richard. And what's interesting is very quickly the business has started to do this, 
um, and, and, and grow quite, qu quite quickly. Um, the two facts that are most pleasant to be able to share is that in the first seven months of working with Richard, we helped his business achieve the same turnover as the previous year. In seven months? In seven months. We, we celebrated a year's turnover on the 28th of July this year, or last year, um, uh, exactly to the penny what he'd done in the last 12 months. Wow. Um, so that's great news. Yeah. Um, the, the second one is we also found £186,000 worth of additional business that he could have been doing, but he wasn't aware there was available to him. So by going through each of the systems and processes, we added about £186,000 worth of additional business and we increased his turnover by about seven, the speed of turnover by about five months from the previous annual. However, he's grown so quickly now that one of his competitors has said, hang on a minute, you're, you're growing quickly. You're, you're likely to become quite a risk to us if you keep going at this rate. Would you consider it if we were to buy you? Interesting. Bing, 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 bing. So all of a sudden, Richard has the opportunity to be able to sell out two years before he turns 40, as opposed to having to wait till he's 40. Hmm. And interestingly enough, the, the competitor has recognised the, the, the systems and processes in the business. He's recognised that this is now a sellable business. We've looked at the likely financial impact of Richard exiting the business and we've built that into the equation and they've offered him 1.4 million pounds two years earlier than he anticipated wow however the clinch the the clinch of it all was Richard's response to their kind offer sincerest of thanks for your note of the growth and scale that we've seen over the last 18 months. However, I've made a pledge to sell the business on my 40th birthday, and I'm having so much more fun in the business now that I'm not yet ready to sell. So I'm more than happy to give you first refusal on whatever we become in the next two years. Very nice. And you, I'm sure you wrote that for him. <laughs> um, I assisted some. <laughs> and we've done it in such a way that we haven't alienated them. We haven't upset them. They, they will hang around in the wings and watch as we overtake them over the next two years um, and possibly end up with a buyout offer to them or, as opposed to the other way around. But, but interestingly, rather than Richard thinking that this business is a means to be able to generate the income I need ready for the next business. We've been able to find the, not only the systems and processes and some money, but re rekindle the passion that he had for it in the first place, that he can now come back to work and drive it forward so much more significantly that we'll perhaps end up with a 4.6 or 5 million pound sellout in the next couple of years, as opposed to the first million that he wanted. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so, so that's the first bit that we're going to give away. Um, mm -hmm. is start with the end in mind and work backwards and determine every single day, what am I doing right now? And is this having a direct correlation to my exit plan? Time, money, or persons to sell to? And if it's not, 
or if you have to be really elaborate with trying to determine as to how this contributes, just simply stop doing it. Because whatever you're spending time doing that, you're not spending time preparing for sale. Right. Okay? Yeah. Cool. So the next thing is, uh, I'm going to share with you research that we did into 153 national business failures where we identified three things that every single business had within it that determined that at some stage they were destined to fail. Hmm. So by, by finding those flaws and by addressing them, we've almost re-engineered how not to fail in business by identifying the things that cause failure. Right. Of 153 business failures, and I'm not talking about the the, the, the pub on the corner or the, the guys that are washing cars in town. We started off by studying the failure of Woolworths. Oh, wow. And we finished with the study of Toys R Us. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we looked at 153 multi-million pound business failures to find out why. 43% of the businesses that we researched either didn't have a business plan or the business plan was woefully out of date or the business plan was in date and woefully not followed. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So many business owners, certainly micro and SME business owners, believe that you don't need a business plan until you're applying for finance. You only get a business plan if you need money, if you need to give it to the bank for some cash. And the simple fact is, would you ever set off to the North Pole without a bloody map? No. So why is it that we go into business every morning and not have a map that's already predetermined as to how are we going to get to where we want to be? Wow. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's like walking around the compass saying, has anyone seen the North Pole? <laughs> So a business plan is an essential part of being able to help us stay on track so we don't suffer shiny object syndrome, so we can come back and measure the milestones to say, am I still on track or have I deviated by one degree? And if I have, I understand we're only human, but how do I get back on track as quickly as possible so I can follow the plans to get to my end destination? Right. So business plan, number one, has to be done. And at the end of today, I'd like to be able to gift people a free business plan. Okay, thank you for that. Number two, if you've got your business plan and we've now started to apply it and we've started to see some traction in the business, we've started to be able to take on our first employee and our next employee and we've started to build a small team and starts to be able to make some proper serious money, the next problem we're likely to suffer is either money and we're running out of it or it's coming in too quickly and we don't know how to manage it it's either money or the systems and processes that aren't in place to support a growing business as opposed to the business that we had to start off with hmm. i call it the people system process dichotomy <laughs> yeah. because whatever we're concentrating on people we forget systems and processes whatever we're concentrating on systems we forget people and processes and vice versa. So what we found, and this was in more than 55% of businesses we studied, 
is businesses that fail as a result of the people system process dichotomy are the ones that failed to acknowledge that the most important part of that triangle is people. Mm. People should always come, if we were to draw a triangle similar to this, people should always be at the forefront of the triangle. And yet businesses that fail and the arrow points downwards are the ones where systems and processes are most important and they push people to the bottom of the equation. Mm. I'll give you a quick example. A business is starting to struggle. Maybe they've run out of cash. Maybe they've run out of customers. Maybe they've run out of product or service. Maybe they're struggling a little. Maybe it's a seasonal business and they're going through a downtime. Maybe a, a, a new client or a big client. Maybe we've fallen on hard times a little bit. And what we found in businesses that fail are the ones that where the management put pressure on the people and say, just follow the system. Follow the system. Do as you're told. It's always worked. <laughs> and what they failed to recognize is we never write systems and processes to cope with traumatic and difficult circumstances. Yeah. We always write systems and processes for when the going's good. Right. And while assist people are being forced to follow a system and process, and the system and process isn't designed for the circumstances we're in, it implodes and they, and they collapse and fail. <laughs> and that's what happened in Woolworths. Whereas, where we find pro problems, where we are under difficulty, where we are really, really being strangled in the business and needs to push on, we need to be able to find some extra grit. If we invert the triangle and we put people first and we say, what do we need to do? How do we need to change or ignore or completely just move away from the systems and processes that we had? What do we need to do for you and I to succeed and get through this? And whenever we put people first, they will always pull together and pull through. Hmm. There's a lovely quote from Warren Buffett. At the time this was quoted, he was the third richest man on the planet. And he simply said, uh, business's greatest investment is in the recruitment and retention of its people. Hmm. A business's greatest investment is in the recruitment and retention of its people. Not its systems, not its processes, not its customers or its products or its services, its people. Hmm. If we can invest in people and give them the opportunity to turn this from a job to a career, to see this more than a dead end job and see the progression of the business, they will pull together and pull through. Okay? Wow, that's amazing. The third is a little bit more complex because it's completely the reverse to what I've just said. For businesses that are struggling, concentrate on the pyramid and the triangle. For businesses that aren't struggling, that are growing and growing and growing rapidly, that are doing really, really well, the third and most complex of these is where we saw the most significant failure. Businesses that grow exceptionally well also create silos they failed to work as one team to one mission. Mm. All of a sudden, as they grow rapidly, the sales team 
see marketing as competition. Okay. Marketing don't have anything to do with customer service because they're busy marketing. Right. Finance are screaming at everyone, just slow down a minute, we can't cope. And everyone ignores them. And the business implodes. Hmm. It's only when we understand that for every action that we have is an automatic reaction elsewhere. And we have to be able to understand for everything that we choose to do, how is this going to impact the rest of the things that we already do? And that is about the clarity of communication within the team, not just the silo that we've created. For sales, to talk to marketing, to talk to finance, to talk to deliveries, to talk to management, to talk to subcontractors and ex-contractors and you name it. It's about coming together and saying, are we still on point? Or in actual fact, have we just started to try and herd a whole herd of, a whole bunch of cats? Wow. You know, I want to bring up, so then when we say the word team, we're really talking about like all employees, all departments are one team and we're not like individually teams. That, that is, that's pretty common on a, um, you know, when I was working in corporate, my last company was a startup, IT startup, and that was very, very common. There would be project management meetings, <laughs> then there would be financial meetings, yep. but we wouldn't necessarily meet with the director of product management. Nope. <laughs> no. You know, and it was like, okay. And then there was the, you know, the IT department, which didn't necessarily support the systems for the HR department. You know what I mean? It was just like sure. many, so, many I mean, you're exactly right. Get one stage further. Our largest claim is currently in 55 countries across the world. Um, they've recognized what we've talked about. I mean, we've been working with them now since September 18 um, to be able to help project add this process to their processes or to, to audit their processes using this methodology to ensure that they've got sustainability for the next 25 years business plan. And what we've found is that it's all right talking about one team but they've gone one stage further and they now include all of their first tier suppliers as part of their team. Wow, okay. And they've said, how do we support you to support us? What do you need from us to become a better supplier? Because we need to know that you're safe because of how much reliance we're putting on you to grow our business. So they have their external logistics manager, a logistics director, comes to their project meetings. Hmm. Um, we're, we're planning to be able to launch this product in Africa this year. Is that going to be a problem for DHL? Or, can, or do we need to work with you to be able to ensure us that when we launch, that you've got the capacity to, and you're aware of when we're launching, so you've got the extra capacity to be able to help us get it to the customer. It's just, it's such a blessing to be able to work with people that say, I get it. <laughs> Because ironically, I mean, they'll do $638 million this year. Um, and interestingly, based on the methodology that we're now helping them to implement, they've suggested that they're now recalibrating their business plans to grow by 22% this year based on the methodology. Wow. That's fabulous. You know, Jay, I'm, I know we could go on through your whole 11 steps, but I want to create some mystery 
and give them a reason to go and see you um, at your masterminds. So for those of you who have been listening and um, watching, remember he offered a free business plan and in the next segment, we'll share how you can take advantage of that. But um, I just want to really quickly understand you have monthly masterminds. Is, is that something you offer? Okay. Yes, absolutely. We've made it our mission in April last year that we want to be able to share this methodology with 100,000 business owners to see them significantly and sustainably grow both them and the businesses. And the only way we can do that is through um, collaboration with people like yourself to be able to share it on podcasts and webinars, to be able to say, look, we've done this. We're working with about 60 clients a year face-to-face in the businesses, but we're never going to achieve the 100,000 that we've pledged unless we do it in collaboration with people like yourself and say, well, let's get the message out there and let's help everybody who's had the the guts and the courage to be able to set out on their own, to be able to make sure that they do so with the confidence and competence to succeed as opposed to do it at risk of their mortgage and their family payments like I did when I first left. Okay, so um, 100,000, that's really a bodacious (laughs) aim. But um, I can, I mean, easily I can see you doing that because you have this powerful uh, program and plan. So, I mean, absolutely. I, I want to, you make me want to get on a plane right now and go to your, um, your masterminds. Now, do you, just on that note, do you ever do any virtual trainings? Well, interestingly, this is what we're launching in 2020. Um, we haven't done it until now. We, we tested it. We got it completely wrong. And I hold my hands up and say <laughs> the model was wrong and it wasn't working the way that we wanted it to. You see, we offer a guarantee. Um, we, 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 we were anointed with this title, The Ethical Coaching Company. It wasn't something that we came up with as some form of clever marketing ploy. We'd been trading for four years before we were given a strap line when we won an award in the city in 2017. And we won an award as the ethical coaching company. And ever since then, it's stuck as our strap line. So as part of our ethics, we guarantee our methodology that if it doesn't work, we'll continue to work with people investment-free until it does. Now, we got the method wrong of how to deliver that and measure that. So we stopped um, in July last year while we recalibrated and worked out as to, so how do we go physical delivery um, and we've, we've worked on that for the last five or six months in order to be able to launch that in 2020 so yeah you're, you're right at the very beginning of this of, of digital mastermind yeah okay great i'll be the first to sign up <laughs> i'll be there well thank you so much for that and like i said um can you tell us where we can go to get our free um business yes, absolutely yeah certainly so we have two websites. Uh, I'm going to list them both, but the second one is more of interest. So our first website is www.mytruenorth, M-Y-T-R-U-E-N-O-R-T-H, mytruenorth.biz, B-I-Z. And that is our landing page. That's our website where we, we talk to people who aren't yet clients of ours about all of the things that we do. We blog every fortnight. We, uh, we share some quite valuable content. We've had numerous comments on the uh, the amount of content that we give away 
on our blogs with regards to being able to help people anyway. Um, and we invite people to be able to move to our second website, which is exactly the same, www.mytruenorth.club, C-L-U-B. Um, and there you can register for free. Um, there's no payment details required. All that we ask is a name and an email address, and you can join for free where we've created or we're in the process of building a whole vault full of resources to be able to help and support people to be able to grow it and do it themselves. It's called the QM store, the quartermaster store, because as an ex-soldier, there has to be something that related back <laughs> to my military. So in the quartermaster store, we've divided it into the eight segments that we believe that are prevalent in every successful business. And in there, you'll get things like, we're giving away a terms and conditions template. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're working B2B or B2C, there's two different templates. They're all legally binding here in the UK. Um, and we'll give those away for free. Um, we've got a business plan template and a business plan user guide to be able to understand how to complete it and how to amend completing it if you're applying for finance or if you're doing it to trying to attract a, a private investor. Uh, and the slight differences that you would need from public money to private money, um, or whether you're trying to go through a merger and you need a business plan for that. And there's all of the different segmentations there. Uh, we've got uh, your first contract of employment and how to take on your new member of staff, uh, be it part-time or full-time. We've got terms and conditions for your website. Uh, and all of this, we simply give away to people as, as part of our pledge to be able to say, we are the ethical coaching company and we want to help people set off on the right foot. Um, you see, we don't work with startups. We don't work with people in the first 12 months of business. Purely on the basis that I know full well that people need to fall over a few times and <laughs> raise the knees a little bit before they realise that perhaps to move beyond what they perceive they're capable of to what they're actually capable of, perhaps they need somebody else to be able to help and support and guide them. So we give all of this stuff away to people who haven't yet got it in place to help them prepare for what we have to offer as a paying member. So this would be ideally for businesses that are about five years old at least? I tend to work with businesses at least three years old, three. certainly generating, um, well, in, in, in the US, I would say certainly generating $50,000, $60,000 income per annum as a start point. Um, before that, our club and our free site is there to be able to help people understand how to get to the first $50,000, $60,000. Um, UK, it will be about the similar type of comparison, about $50,000, £60,000 turnover. Um, for me, I would consider that survival cash. What do you need to do to get started and get on, earn an, earn an income sufficient to be able to take on, if you necessary need it, your first new member of staff, even if it's a part-time member of staff, so we can help people to move from self-employment into managing a business. Um, we are business coaches. We're not necessarily self-employment coaches. Um, so we give away all of the guidance and advice on how to move from self-employment to a business owner. And once you're ready to be able to move from self-employment into owning a business and then growing and scaling a business, ready to exit, then that's the time where we tend to invite people to make an investment to work with us so we can 
really get into the nitty gritty of who they're about and what they're trying to achieve and how best we can help them achieve it. Great. All right. Well, <clears throat> believe it or not, I am going to just come back in one more segment and get like your final uh, golden nugget. All right. We'll be right back. All right. We're back. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening and enjoying um, this just amazing conversation to find out how to reach your true north in business. And I'm about to share my takeaway, <laughs> um, which is solely my opinion and my view and is not the view of Jay Allen. I just want to put that disclaimer out there. I strongly feel that Jay Allen is truly, truly a business coach. Most of the coaches you find online are self-employment coaches. He's clearly defined that for us today. So <laughs> with that, what, what is your uh, golden nugget and takeaway that you would want people to pull out from our conversation? God bless you. Thank you very much for having me. And that was such a beautiful disclaimer. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm blessed. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, if I was to give anyone um, anything more than we've done already, um, it would be two things. And first of all, it's stop holding yourself back. Stop, stop doubting your own capability or belief. Um, you are capable of anything that you set your mind to be able to achieve. And don't let anybody around you to be able to tell you anything other than, go girl, go on, go, go, go. Um, it's got to be from here. You know, if we work in, in our truth, in our sincerity, in our honesty, in our transparency, in our openness, then the most wondrous things can come about. Um, so, so first of all, go forth and do what it is that you set out to do. Um, re rekindle the goal and the aspirations that you had when you first set this business up. Um, and stop listening to people that say, oh, are you sure? Um, or doubting you. Uh, because, you know, the doubters and the whingers are not the ones that are going to be sat around your pool when you're successful. Um, so, so whatever it is that lights your fire, make sure that 24-7 you're concentrating putting fuel on that fire. Um, that would be the first thing. Um, and the second thing is perhaps just as profound. Stop chasing money. Hmm. It's as simple as that. Stop chasing money. You see, money loves to play the game chase. It's a little bit like cat and mouse. And you're the cat and money's the mouse. And whatever you are adamant whatever you are and don't get me wrong it might sound like i'm preaching to the converted it might sound like well it's all right for him because he's got cash believe you me when i started my business by the time that i've had 153 um, uh, uh, 157 interviews that had all gone terribly wrong before i ended up putting grass for a living i was 47,000 pound in debt and i hadn't paid my mortgage for three months i was on was on the verge of being thrown out of my own home so believe me, I've come from a place of not having. I know how desperate we can become to chase the next paycheck, to be able to cover the rent. I understand that. But please, just take a moment and just listen to the words I have to share with you. Stop chasing money. The more that our, our, our intent is just the cash, whatever we're just going to grab for whatever it is that we can try and find. Mouse will always win and cat will just get tired. 
Stop chasing cash, okay? Instead, chase impact. Hmm. Find a means where you can have impact on somebody else. Find a problem that they're suffering that you can help resolve. Find a means to be of help and support and of service to another human being find a means to be able to have an impact that has an impact on them in their lives. There are chances out there every single day to make an impact in somebody else's life. And we are so busy and caught up in our own lives that we ignore them, we wear the blinkers, we simply don't see them. Go out of your way to find means of making an impact on somebody else's life. Because I assure you, the more impact with the more people that you have, the, the more bored the mouse gets and comes and finds you. <laughs> so while ever you are chasing impact, money gets bored and comes and lands in your pocket. And the only thing that you have to learn to do is whilst you are so busy giving impact, be willing to receive. Because ironically, there are a few people out there that are almost martyrs to giving, that they are so busy in the giving that they forget to receive. And life is a magnet. It's a yin and yang of life. We have to be able to go through it giving and receiving. You know, when you shake somebody's hand, it's only completed once the hands have been shaken. I can put my hand out a hundred times to you, but unless you take it, the exchange hasn't yeah, occurred. Because see, look, we're not even yeah. in the same room. It didn't happen. <laughs> we can try our hardest, but the, it didn't occur. It didn't complete. And it's only when we give and are willing to receive, not expecting to receive, are willing to receive, that mouse will come and jump into our pockets aplenty. And that's it. It's as simple as that. Wow. Thank you. That... That was actually three. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I, I learned three things in school. English and maths. You learned three things in school. English and maths. <laughs> nice. Very nice. I, you know what? I, I absolutely really enjoyed having you on. And, um, it was a real pleasure and a blessing. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely a pleasure and blessing as well. And, you know, I have to say your last point about being willing to receive is a major challenge um, that I run into with a lot of people that I work with. But I, I'm hoping that for those of you who are listening and watching today, that you, you really embrace the concept of being free to receive be free to be willing to receive yeah. and um you've taken a lot of notes and you'll listen this back and take more notes and um <laughs> i know i'll listen back and take more notes and if it impacted your heart guess what sharing is caring it's going to impact somebody else's heart so please share with someone else and thank you for listening God bless.
So the purpose of the show really is to give you tools and tips to go on that journey of being free to be yourself. Anything that you enjoyed or you found beneficial, make note of it. Start implementing it. See what it actually feels like to do that. And reach out to me and let me know how you come along with that. Most importantly, if it works for you, it's going to work for somebody else.